You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, this morning we're going to read about two of the strangest things that Jesus ever did. Really strange. In fact, so strange that there's many, many of you, if you've read these passages we're, we're about to read, read this passage we're about to read, probably the first time you read it, you were really puzzled. You might still be puzzled when we read it again today. Like, what, what is going on here? Some read these texts, this text today that we're going to read and are troubled by it because they, they can't get their minds around it. It seems like Jesus in our passage today for some at first blush, like he's in a bad mood or he's, he's losing his cool. Some even find it really disturbing and uh, really wrestle with it. But I'm going to tell you that what we're going to read today is, yes, it lands on us as strange. And and surely for some of us, at least at first, it is going to be puzzling. But I can assure you right up front that Jesus was not in a bad mood, nor is he ill-tempered. He wasn't acting with cruelty nor without compassion. Instead, he said what he said, and he did what he did in our text today to teach us two lessons about God. Two important lessons about God, and he teaches us these lessons about God in order to inspire and empower life change in us, life-changing results, the kind of results that I think that some of you, if not many of you, are hungry for. Now, before we get to looking at what is it Jesus said and did that was so strange, I want to put a question on the screen here for you to ask you this. Let me ask you this question. Are you hungry for reality? Are you hungry for reality? Like, do you desire to really know God? This is what I mean by, by hunger. I mean, you know what physical hunger is. That, that feeling that you have that only food is going to satisfy. In fact, some, some of us here in the room, if you're like me, you know what it is to be hangry. You know what it is to be hangry? When you just, like, you're so hungry, like, like you better get out of the way of the refrigerator or someone's going to die here. Like that hungry. You know what I mean? Don't judge me. It's just some physiological thing. That's just the way it goes. I'm not that kind of a person normally, but under certain circumstances, it can get pretty ugly. So you, so you know what hunger is, physical hunger. But I'm talking this morning about spiritual hunger, but a hunger, a desire, a want for God, for more of him, that to truly, to truly walk with Jesus. To, to actually experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Are you hungry for that kind of reality? Or are you content with just talking about Jesus and knowing about God or doing Christian activities? Do you, do you hunger for more for God? Many years ago, A.W. Tozer wrote these words. He said, Within the fold of conservative Christianity, there are to be found increasing numbers of persons whose religious lives are marked by a growing hunger after God himself. And they will not be put off with words, nor will they be content with mere correct interpretations of the truth. They are a thirst for God. And will not be satisfied until they have drunk deep at the fountain of living water. Is that you? Does that describe you? Are you hungry for reality? If yes, then I am super glad you're here. If no, I'm glad you're here too. 
But if you're hungry for reality, for more of God, we're going to see here Jesus is going to show us here something of the way to reality, to experiencing more of God, to move us from empty religion to a real relationship, from surface Christianity to a vital walk with God, from head knowledge of the truth to heart devotion to the source of that truth. And we're going to see that in our passage, our strange passage in Mark chapter 11. Would you turn there with me to Mark chapter 11? And we are in verses 12 to 25 today. Mark 11, verses 12 to 25. If you don't have a Bible with you, we got you covered. Right in the back of the pew in front of you is a a Bible. It's either black or dark blue. I can't tell the difference. Lay hold of that. The Gospel of Mark, use the table of contents, fastest way to find your way through the Bible. Just look in the front for the Gospel of Mark. You get to Mark, go ahead to uh, chapter 11. If somebody's got a page number, just shout it out like you, like you want everybody to know. 796. 796. There we go. That's right. That's the winning number. There we go. 796. Thank you very much. 796. I should have written it down myself, but I had you to count on to help me out. Thank you very much. I mean it. We are in our series right now, Encountering Jesus. Encountering Jesus in the last week of his earthly life. We're looking at day by day. The events in Jesus' life, the the last week leading up to his death on Friday, and ultimately his resurrection on Sunday, the first day of the next week. Now, we began our series a week ago looking at the first day of the final week of the life of Jesus, Sunday, or Palm Sunday. Well, now, in our text today, we are in Monday, and Mark tells us what took place. Mark chapter 11, and I'm actually going to read from verse 11, okay? Now, I don't want to confuse you. I'm your tour guide this morning. you got to trust me, okay? We're going to go, we're going to take some dips and dives, some quick turns. Just stay with me, because we're going to go start in verse 11, and while our focus is on Monday, verse 11 actually happened on Sunday evening, late Sunday afternoon, and it's important to get relevance to what happens on Monday. So look at verse 11. He entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple, And when he had looked around at everything, so he goes to the temple, this place of worship set up there in Jerusalem, a place where God's people were to come and to worship him and to exalt in him. He went into the court of the Gentiles, the largest part of the temple on the outside of the temple. He went into the court of the Gentiles and he looked around at everything. And as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Why Bethany? Well, that's where he was staying for the week. He had some friends there, maybe heard of them. Their names are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were friends of Jesus. They're siblings. And he stayed with them. What a sleepover week that would have been at their place. Anyway, okay, now it's Monday, verse 12, Monday. You ready? Monday, Monday. On the following day, Monday, it's not in the text, it's what day it is. When they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, He found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Now, just to pause there for a second, it's March, probably late March, and um, I have a very poor knowledge of anything to do with plants to begin with, so understand I studied hard to try to get my mind around this. Late March, not the season for figs. If you like figs, then you know what I'm talking about, right? Tasty fruit. I like figs. Don't know anything about growing them, but I like to eat them. My understanding is that at this time of year, it, wasn't, it says here in the text, it wasn't the season for figs, so he didn't go expecting to find big, ripe, ready-to-eat figs, but he did go, seeing a tree and leaf, did go thinking that he would find what was called in antiquity, pigum, 
Al Colson told me the name of it in, in English now, and I can't remember what he told me now, but it's called, it's, it's basically the leftovers from the previous year. It's just a, a, like a little bud, and they were edible. I asked somebody who knew about it what, what it tastes like. It tastes like the same. It's like figs. So that's what he's looking for. He sees a tree and leaf. It's advertising, I've got food here for the hungry. And he goes and looks and finds there's actually nothing on it. And this is when it gets really weird. Verse 14. And he said to it, yes, Jesus spoke to a tree. Yes. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And all God's people said, huh? And his disciples heard it. They heard him say it. What's going on here? <laughs> it gets even more interesting. Look what happens next. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple. Remember, he'd been there the night before, and he saw everything that was going on. Now he shows up at the temple again. And notice, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Have you ever flipped the table over in your life? You probably weren't happy. So Jesus, you see people have a, a rest, an issue here with, with this. They read this and like, Jesus seems like he seems pretty ticked and, and, and angry enough to like flip tables. Imagine you're sitting on a stool and Jesus comes, oh, look, it's Jesus. Boom, kicks the seat up from under you. It's not very nice. What do we do with this? It says in verse 16, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. It seems that people were using the temple as a shortcut. Why go around the temple? You just sort of walk through it. He wouldn't let them do that. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? My, my house, he's quoting scripture here, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. You know what a robber's den is, right? Robbers. If you are a robber, you know what a robber's den is. If you're not and you've seen some movies, you know what it is too. It's where the robbers hide out. It's like their safe place. It's like everybody, we're going to go to our, our, our den or hideout so the cops don't find us. And there's a sense of as long as we're there, we're safe, we're untouchable. Now Jesus says, this house is supposed to be a house of prayer, a house of worship. But you've turned it into a den of robbers. I wonder who the robbers are. Well, it's probably the religious leaders who are allowing whatever's going on here to go on and feeling quite secure in the fact that as long as we're in the temple, we're good. And the chief priests, verse 18, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it. And just to stop right there, sorry to keep interrupting. But what we want to see next is they hear this, they hear what Jesus says, and like, you know what? He's so right. He's so right. Thank you, God, for sending a messenger to set us right. Because it's true. That's what this is about. You know what? This is all about God and his glory. And look, look at all the chaos and stuff here. We got buying and selling going on. We got animals running everywhere, people yelling, people traipsing through. Thank you, God, for your messenger, because our hearts are for you. Yes, that's right. Let's get some order here. Let's, let's move the buying and selling outside the temple where it used to be. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's what we want to think would happen, but that's not what happened. Now, notice again, verse 18, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. In other words, they want to kill him, don't they? For they feared him. Because all the crowds, all the crowd was astonished 
at his teaching. They're amazed. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Dear friends, what in the world do we make of this? He curses the tree. doesn't swear at it. He condemns the tree. And then he clears out the temple. And he seems a bit angry doing it. What do we make of this? Well, I think that the Lord has two lessons for us about God that are very important that could change our lives. Bring us from fakery into reality. Bring us from the surface to greater depths with God. So let's, let's sort this out. Let's start with the fig tree. Start with the fig tree. Verse 13, he's hungry. Verse 12, sorry, he's hungry. Reminds us of the humanity of Jesus. Fully God, fully man. Hungry. He knows what it is to feel like some of you are feeling right now. Hungry. And he's looking for food and thinks he's found some. It appears as though there's something that holds out food for him because it's a, a tree in leaf. And it's advertising. I have food. I have food. Sort of like the Tim Hortons that you pull into the drive-thru. The lights are all on the sign. And you pull in and you wait and you wait and you wait and nobody comes to the microphone. And then you pull ahead and realize it's closed. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, yeah. And in the moment, you feel like saying, may you never serve coffee to anyone again. Because you held up this promise that you're going to Help me now with my feeling of needing coffee and help me to be on my way. And you, you even had your lights on and you weren't there. Now, that's not Jesus' attitude toward the tree. No, actually, it's much more controlled. In fact, it's evident as we look at the text that he is making a statement. He's showing us something here. I should say too, by the way, I think I, think I probably do have to say this. There's, there's many so-called, there's some so-called scholars that are really torn up about this because they see that it's a tree, it's not the season for figs, and Jesus condemns the tree. And, and I'm not kidding, there are so-called scholars that reject this passage, like this cannot be true because Jesus wouldn't do that to a poor tree like that. I'm, I'm just saying, now maybe you're feeling that way, I'm not trying to make light of it, I just want to point out a couple of things. First of all, this tree does not have little babies or, or a husband that's going to come home and find mommy and wife tree dead. Okay? It's a tree. It's a tree. Second, if we got our theology right, Jesus made all that there is, so it's actually his tree. So at the end of the day, if he wants it to be fruitful, he wants it to wither up, it's actually he's got rights to deal with this tree how he pleases. And really, he's not being mean or unkind. It's a tree. And he's showing us something here that's important for us to see. You see, this tree is in leaf. And it's advertising, I've got figs to eat. But on further investigation, upon closer inspection, it's actually found to be fruitless, without fruit. It has the appearance of fruitfulness, but in reality is barren. This is significant because it's a picture of what Jesus found in Jerusalem amongst God's people. There is the appearance of religious devotion and fervor. On the walk into the city, they could see the temple and all its grandeur. And as you get closer, you can see there's many, many people flocking in there. It's quite a hub of activity. 
Oh, it's, 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 it's a great religious experience here. There's revival in Jerusalem. There's life here. There's religious devotion. But then when you actually get there and walk in there and inspect what's going on, you find that that's not the case at all. You see, the fig tree is a picture of the people. Looks from a distance, at first glance, like it's spiritual, like they're spiritual, but in reality, they're not. Jesus said in Mark 7 and 6 about Israel in those days, he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And that's what's going on in Jerusalem. You see, the tree is a picture of the people's spiritual condition. The tree is like a lot of people, maybe even some of you. From a distance, you look spiritual, you sound godly, you appear to know a lot about God, and maybe you do know a lot about God. You seem to have a handle on the truth, but upon closer inspection, get around you, follow you around for a bit, and it becomes apparent that your heart is actually far from him. There may be someone that you have encountered that you, get, you, you see from a distance, they appear to have a gold star from Jesus on their achievement chart. But you find out that Jesus is actually not their treasure, and first impressions were not true. Maybe you are like that. Maybe you know someone like that, or maybe you yourself are like that, where you find upon closer inspection, your, your affections are actually quite cool. Your commitment toward the Lord is very weak. There is very little spiritual fruit. And you know what I mean by fruit. When we talk about fruit in the spiritual sense in the Christian life, it's talking about our lives producing things that God wants our lives to produce, like joy, peace, patience, kindness, love for God, love for others, devotion and affection toward Jesus, toward God. Maybe you're that person who hears others talk about the glories of Christ and his all-satisfying love, but you, on close inspection, are irritable, angry, and enslaved to sinful desires that you just you can't seem to shake. You look leafy, but your life is fruitless. You just might be that tree. Jesus, this fig tree, might be a picture of you. What's the lesson he's teaching us about God? Here it is, don't miss it. God is not impressed by mere appearances. God is not impressed by mere appearances. He wants reality. He wants real faith, real worship, heart devotion. He, he's, he is not okay with a brand of Christianity that's just a veneer of religion. No, he wants heart devotion. The reality is, is that what he saw in the temple in Jerusalem in those days was an appearance of piety and activity, but in reality it was just chaos and confusion and callousness toward the living God. See, the tree is a picture of people. I wonder if it's a picture of you. You, think, you, you can ask, understandably, you ask, but why, why a fig tree? Well, it's interesting, if you've read the Old Testament, you might come to your mind different times and places where you've seen fig trees referred to in symbolic ways because sometimes in the Old Testament, a fig tree is used as a metaphor or a picture of the spiritual condition of God's people. I'll just give you one example. Jeremiah 8 and verse 13. God says this about his people. He said, When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, 
nor figs on the fig tree. What's he saying? He's saying, yeah, they, they think of themselves as my people, but when you look carefully at their lives, they don't bear fruit. They don't behave like it. They don't look like it. There isn't reality there. Fig trees are also used in the Old Testament as a picture of God's displeasure and discipline and even judgment against his people. Think about Hosea 2 and 12 where God says of them in, in his displeasure of his, toward his people who are not faithful to him. He says, and I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees. He's not talking about taking out the agriculture of the day. He's talking about dealing with his people who are unfaithful. Jeremiah 29 and 17, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I am sending on them a sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. Ever reached into the back of your fridge and pulled out a rotten peach? You can't eat that thing. I mean, you can. The bananas, it's okay. They can be salvaged for muffins. But that peach, it's got to go to the compost. Same thing with figs. I've never been tempted to eat a rotten fig, but I'm pretty sure if I saw one, I'd be like, I got a little bucket under the sink. That, that where that, that's where that goes. I'm not going to eat that. It's gross. Makes me sick. God's like, that's, that's the picture here. A withered fig tree is often used as a picture of God's displeasure, or discipline, even judgment. Now, on the tour guide this morning, you got to stay with me. If you don't stay with me, you're going to get confused and lost, and you'll know, we'll have to be calling your parents from the help desk or whatever, so stay with me. We're going to, I want to go to the next day, and then we'll come back to Monday. I'm going to go to Tuesday, just for a moment, because I want to round out the whole fig tree situation. So go down to verse 20. Down to verse 20. Verse 20 happens on Tuesday, so don't get confused. We're, we're focusing on Monday, but 24 hours after Jesus says to the fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit again from you, I want you to see what happens. Verse 20, as they passed by in the morning, so another sleepover over at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. Good time was had by all. Now they're on their way back into Jerusalem, into the city, and they passed by in the morning, and they saw the fig tree. Remember the fig tree from yesterday? They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Now that's remarkable. I don't know anything about plants or trees or nothing. Okay, I'm not, Part of the problem is I'm just not interested, so that doesn't help. But I don't know much about this, but I do know this. It's a pretty shocking thing that a tree that was in leaf one day, the next day, 24 hours later, is withered away to its roots. Like it's rotted right out in 24 hours. And the disciples are amazed by this. Verse 21, and Peter remembered. What did he remember? He remembered what happened the day before. And he remembered hearing what Jesus said. It says, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, have faith in God. And all God's people say, what? Have, have faith in God? What? Help me out here, tour guide. Help, help me out here. Get the map out. Help me to understand this. I think this is what's happening. The message about the tree on Monday is that God is not impressed by mere appearances. Now what we see on Tuesday is we see something, we have a picture of the great ability of God to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or imagine. 
And the purpose here is to inspire faith in us to not be fruitless people who lack faith in God on Monday, like the, the, the fruitless fig tree, but now to see the greatness and the mightiness and the awesomeness of God, and that ought to inspire us to not be fruitless fig trees, but fruitful fig trees, because we believe on him. See, God is not impressed. He is not pleased with mere appearances. Well, what is God pleased with? What does please him? What does impress him? Faith. In fact, do you know something? It's the one thing that Peter says that God finds precious in his people. It's faith. In fact, he says in 1 Peter 1 and 7, it's more precious, your faith is more precious to him than gold is to you. How about Hebrews eleven six? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Conversely, by faith, we do please God. So it's no surprise that Jesus turns our attention from the fruitlessness of the tree to the awesomeness of the one who can wither the tree with a word. That's why he says, have faith in God. Since God is not impressed by mere appearances, loved ones, have real faith in him. Have real faith in him. In fact, I put this, if we can put that on the screen here, God is not impressed by mere appearances. So have real faith in him. I put the word real in brackets because I want you to see that this is what Jesus says here. Just, just right out of the text. Have faith in God. But I think the emphasis here, the, the weight of this is to have real faith in God. Have sincere faith in God. Not fake faith in God as if there is such a thing. Don't be just a leafy tree, but really, truly trust him. Really, truly believe on him. Jesus calls his followers to have faith that fruitless people lack. Real, serious, genuine faith, inspired by the greatness of God, with eyes to see the God of glory who can able and real and faithful. See, real faith in, in a real God, that's what we're called to. And, and it's evidenced in that we, we call out to him to do what only he can do. Serious faith and a serious God. There's no games. Stop playing games. If you're playing games, stop. Your life is not a game. Stop fooling around religion. Stop fooling around with the Bible and Jesus. This is no game. This is serious. Eternity's on the line. We're talking about eternal issues. Serious faith in a serious God. Genuine faith in a living God. He says, have faith. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done to him. See what Jesus is doing? He's pointing us to the awesome power of God. In fact, it's very possible that as he says this, he's pointing at the temple mount. Just look at all that grandeur there. God is able to take all of that and throw it into the sea. Do you understand the authority and the power that God has? Do you understand the power of God available to you? I was telling the elders this morning about a missionary friend of mine. I can't tell you what country he's in just for his own security, but he um, was telling me a story about not too long ago being interrogated by the head of the security police in the country in the region where he is. It's a very intimidating experience, and he's been interrogated more than once. The last time he was questioned, the, um, the, the person, the security uh, official, told him to meet him at a pizzeria. Strange place for an interrogation, right? Meet me at a pizzeria. So he shows up at the pizzeria. They sit in the corner of this restaurant, and he makes him sit right beside him. And he asks him all kinds of questions. And as he's, he's being interviewed, the, the poor kid that works in the restaurant comes out to take their order. 
and this, this, uh, the security official, he says, I'd like a square pizza. And the kids, uh, yeah, but sir, we, we just, we make, we make round pizzas. Like, no, I would like a square pizza. Yeah, but sir, like our pans are like, like this shape here, like round, like he's like, I want a square pizza. And so the poor kid just looks confused and baffled and goes to protest again. And then my friend said that the security man said to the kid, and he used the name, he didn't hear the name, didn't know what the name was, but he asked, said to the kid, do you know so-and-so? And as soon as he used this name, the kid just like, I'll go make a square pizza. That was it. So I said to my missionary friend, I'm like, what, what was that all about? He's like, it's just intimidation. He's just trying to show me that he's got the authority, that he's got the power. And I was just sharing this with the elders this morning. One of our elders, Rich, said, if only he knew the kind of authority and power that's with the missionary. Well, that would be really something, wouldn't it? And that, that's so right. That's so right. The devil and his agents, what do they got? What, what's this guy got? He's got, I can make you make me a square pizza. What has your God got? I can take the mountain and throw it into the sea. That's pretty awesome. What's Jesus saying here? Have real faith in God. Believe in him. He's real. Treat him that way. You say, what does that look like when I treat him that way? Well, when we have a real faith in God, we trust him enough to ask. We trust him enough to ask to talk to him as one who's real, who really hears. I think that's part of what the not doubting is. I, I got to leave to him the way that he will answer my prayers. I got to leave to him the timing in which he'll answer my prayers. But to pray without doubt, I believe that he is there and he hears. I call out to him. Of course, God is not my personal genie, right? He's, he's not a genie. He doesn't exist to serve me. We exist to serve him. But Jesus shows us here that when we've got a real faith in him, it manifests itself in that we, we call out to him. We cry out to him. We speak to him. We bring to him our needs, our concerns, believing that he is able. And maybe you need that this morning. Maybe you need a breakthrough. Some of you here, I'm sure, do need a breakthrough. Some need relief. Some are aching for provision. Some even for healing. You say, well, Ross, that, don't go down that road. Because I prayed. And I prayed and nothing has happened. I got a sensitive spot for that because I got an issue in my life right now that I've been praying about and pleading with and in frustration this week. I said out loud, I need God to do, to do. And I had to really repent and think of my attitude. But there's some genuineness in my plea. I need him to do. But sometimes we feel like God's not doing anything. And then I have to stop and say to myself, Really? God's not doing anything, nothing. Are you not still believing? Are you still not sharing Christ? Are you still not walking with him, still not worshiping, still not seeing him do things? Yeah, okay, okay, stop, pastor, I get it. No, he's always doing, even when we don't see it, he's working. In fact, sometimes, sometimes we've got to come to terms with the fact that the things that we want God to do, he's going to do in a different way that might actually be better. I saw a video Somebody posted this week of this sweet little guy. He was at a Blue Jays game. I think it, was a, it had to be a few years ago. And um, he was wearing a, a jersey, a, a um, Anaheim or Los Angeles Angels jersey with Albert Pujols' name on it. How many you know Albert Pujols? Not know personally, but know who I'm talking about, right? If you're a baseball fan, you know who Albert Pujols is. If you're not a baseball fan, 
sorry, this may not work for you, but anyway, Albert Pujols uh, is this Hall of Fame baseball player, great baseball player. He's actually also a believer. And uh, this little guy was over there, and so he's wearing his Pujols jersey, and he's got a marker in his hand, and he's waving at him. Like, he wants to come and sign my jersey. Little boy, I think he had downs too, but it appeared to be. So he's waving at him, and Albert Pujols sees him and comes over to him. But do you believe this? Do you get a load of this? Albert Pujols did not sign his jersey. Like, what kind of a jerk is that? Right? Isn't it so disappointing, so embarrassing? Somebody ought to write him a letter or tell him, like, what's the matter with you? No, he didn't sign the kid's jersey. You know what he did instead? He took off his own jersey and signed it and gave it to the kid. Now, which is better? Which would you rather have? Oh, and by the way, I was joshing you. He also signed the kid's jersey too. Sometimes that's what God does. We're so sure that he's got to work this way. But maybe he's got something better. Having real faith in God, though, starts with this, trusting him enough to ask. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. When there's genuineness of faith and a heart set upon him, we cry out to him. And loved one, let me encourage you, if you're in a season of waiting, the waiting and still crying out is a sign of great faith in the living God. Have real faith in God. Trust him enough to ask. Also, trust him enough to act. To act. I think that's kind of at the heart of verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Trust him enough to act. Lots of people get exercised when they don't get from God what they want, but aren't at all bothered when God doesn't get from them what he wants. That's not real faith. No, real faith is a heart that's submitted to him to the point where I will act. That's where the reality is at where I will trust God, not just in agreement in my mind, but I will trust him with my life, with my body, with my time, with my passions, with my pursuits. Trust him enough to act. This really came to light too. I was thinking about this. We have a friend of ours who, a long time ago, back before we were married, I remember sharing with, talking about spiritual things, and she was, she was often really checked out of these conversations. But in time, God began to really do a work in her heart and give her an interest in the Lord. And one weekend, she went away to a women's retreat. And when she came home, she phoned Leanne and she says, I get it. I get it. And Leanne's like, what do you get? I get that if I'm going to trust God, if I'm going to follow Jesus, then I've got to accept all of his word, not just the parts that I like or that are convenient to me. That's faith. Have faith in God. Trust him enough to ask. Trust him enough to act. God is not impressed with mere appearances. That's the point of the fig tree. But it also has everything to do with what happened in the temple on Monday. The temple is supposed to be, in the old covenant, supposed to be, a sacred place where God is worshipped, where prayers are prayed, where people seek the very presence of God. But what was going on there? Well, a whole lot of other stuff, wasn't there? Verses 15 to 19, it tells us what went down in the temple. Now, I think it helps you to understand this, that the temple had really four parts. The most sacred part of the temple was called the most holy place that represented the very presence of God. And then outside that was the holy place, and then the, the courts of the women where only Jewish women were allowed. But then on the outside of the temple, all around, really the largest square footage part of the temple was called the court of the Gentiles. 
And the purpose of that was to honor God's desires that the nations would know him. The court of the Gentiles had two purposes. Firstly and foremostly for worship, that the Gentiles could come and worship the true and living God. If we were in ancient Israel, that's the part that I would be allowed into. I wouldn't be allowed in any other part of that temple just to come to the temple to seek God, to worship him. I wouldn't be allowed anywhere else other than in the court of the Gentiles. And its purpose was that I could seek to commune with God and seek him and to, and to worship him. And it was also there for mission, that the nations could come and find out more about the true and living God. That was its purpose. But what it was being used for, Jesus found, was a whole lot of other stuff, isn't it? When he showed up there, it says he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought. So there's, there's buying and selling going on and, and there's, there's animals being sold. Now, now, the buying and the selling and the selling of animals is, is not in and of itself a problem. In fact, in many ways, it was a service. You, you needed animals. You needed animals without blemish to be part of the sacrifice. And, and if you're going to give an offering, it had to be in the shekel to, to accord with, the, with the, the law of Moses. And so it was a service. But the thing is, is that there was a time it used to be outside the temple. You go and do all your business dealings outside the temple, and then you go into the temple, this sacred place of worship and meeting with God. But what had happened is, is that they found we can do bigger business, better business, if we bring it inside the temple. And so here come the Gentiles in to worship God, and what's going on in there? Well, a whole lot of other stuff. In fact, now, this is risky, and I told the end, I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. But if you're willing, and if you're new, you're excused from this, and I apologize in advance. But if this is your church, and you're with me, I want you to help me out here, because I really want to make a point, all right? Are you, will, are you willing to help me? Okay. Now, you people over here, you look like pigeon kind of people. And uh, there's pigeons. It says here they're selling pigeons. The, the poorest of the poor would come, and they could buy a pigeon to offer the Lord. Do you know how to, to offer unto the Lord as worship? Do you know how to make a pigeon sound like, can, can you do that? Can you, I don't, don't hate me. Can you just do it, though? Okay, that's, that's, good. that's good. It'll be easier in a minute. A minute. Okay, now you folks, you look like sheep kind of people over here, right? And so I, I'd like you to make your best sheep sound that you can. Will you do that for me? Like, bah, bah. Will you do that? Just go for it. Bah, bah. Again, if you're new, I'm sorry. We don't normally do this. Please come back, okay? Please. Bah, bah. That, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty good. That's not, that's not too bad. Now, over here, you're the money changer, right? You step right up over here, clink, clink, clink. Step right up over here, clink, clink, clink. Can you do that? Step right up over here, clink, clink, clink. Step right up over here, clink, clink. That's right. Yeah. Now, you people, from not you guys, because I need you for something else, okay? Don't worry, please. And from here back, you're just there. You're going, you're hustling, bustling. So just talk amongst you. Just say, just say your name repeatedly. Ross Kearney, Ross Kearney, Ross Kearney. Ross. Just say it. Just come on. Come on. You're looking at me. Please, please. Come on. You got to help me. Just go ahead. Just get, say your name. Say, it'll be easier in a minute. Just say your name. Let's hear you. Let's hear you. Okay, okay, okay. That's good. Okay, you're off the hook. Now, front row here. We're Gentiles, and we're going to the temple to worship, to seek God. You've got a hunger in your heart. You've got a God-sized hole in your heart that every human has. And you've got a longing for reality. And so here we are. We show up at the temple. And what do we find there? Chaos. Okay, now I need you. You ready? We're getting ready to worship. We're going to worship the Lord, all right? Okay, pigeons, let's hear you. Pigeons, sheep, sheep, people, money changers. Come on, folks. Come on. Louder, louder. How are we doing here? Are we ready to worship the Lord? Ready to seek him in prayer? Thank you. It means a lot to me that you did that. Won't do that again for a long time, okay? You see the insanity of this? They're still bang over there. Illustration's over. 
Do you see why Jesus was angry? He wasn't out of control. No, this was a profound act of compassion. Because he comes into a place, God's purposes is for the nations to know him and to exalt in him. And what they found there was chaos and confusion. And that's why he was angry. The leaders were way more in love with money and the making of money than they were with God. And that's why he showed up and flipped the tables and drove them out and said, you can't traipse through here. It's because he had a passion for what God is passionate about. And that's the second lesson that he teaches us about God. God is passionate about his purposes. So, loved ones, his purposes must be our passion. What are you passionate about? Like, what do you dream about? What do you long for? Do you long for souls saved? For marriages healed? For churches planted? For unreached people to be reached for Jesus? Like, like do you long for that? Are you passionate about that? Do you, do you catch yourself from time to time daydreaming about those kinds of things? Is your heart instead cluttered with other priorities, other passions, other purposes? You see, God is passionate about his purposes. So his purposes must be our passion. Let me ask you these questions, and Lord, Lord I pray that these would preach. What tables in your life does the Lord want to turn over? What preoccupations does Jesus desire to drive out of your heart? What chairs of indifference would Christ kick out from under you in compassion and care for you to make your life count for God, to have reality? Loved ones, my exhortations to you are two. We'll just go ahead and put those on the screen. Welcome his purging power. Be indignant about indifference. We start with the last one. Be indignant about indifference. It's not okay to live without a passion for God, for mission, for worship. It's not okay. Like, if we are okay today with the fact that there are countless thousands and millions of people who've never even met a Christian, if we're okay with that, then the Lord would want to drive out some other things. We ought to be indignant about our indifference. Like, that's not okay. God, help us to not be okay with good enough. No, loved ones, instead, we ought to, by grace, seek God for his heart and his priorities. And wonder of wonders, God works in us to give us desires for him. It's one of my favorite verses, Philippians 2 and 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In fact, he uses sermons even like this one to move us into greater reality, away from pretense and fakery. God wants you to experience the reality of knowing him and to not be indifferent. And actually, wonder of wonders, it's, it's one of the amazing things about the Christian life. 
is that when you trust in Jesus, God's spirit comes and dwells in you. And it's such a radical change from the inside out that Jesus refers to it as being born again. New birth. It's a radical work of God where he comes in and he gives you a new heart that actually has inclinations and desires for that which God wants and desires. It's an amazing thing. So the awesome thing is that progress in this doesn't hinge on you and I saying, okay, I got to be indignant about indifference. No, if you are in Christ, then right now in this moment, you will be being indignant about indifference because you're like, I want what God wants. And that's his gracious work in you. Now I'm saying, add, combine your faith with God's desire today and say, God, do that in me. That where you sniff out like indifference to say, Lord, Lord, get that out of me. I can't fix this, but you can. You can throw the mountain into the sea so you can take my heart and you can change it. And give me passions for what you're passionate about. Be indignant about indifference. Don't just sit there today. If today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Be indignant about indifference. Finally, finally, welcome his purging power. Isn't it a cathartic thing to purge? Like if you got junk in your house, it's quite a feeling when you realize you have a friend with a pickup truck. And you just back that truck on up and you start filling it up with all kinds of stuff you're tripping over and you haven't looked at in years anyway. It's still in the box it was in when you moved into the place. And it is especially joyous feeling to personally, with your own bare hands, heave that stuff into the bin at the dump. The reality is, loved ones, though, when it comes to our own hearts, we're powerless to purge. But Jesus is not. And so I would encourage you to have real faith in him and call out to him and say, Lord, come and drive out of me, purge me of the things that clutter my mind, break the chains of bondage that hold me to lust and pornography, overturn, Lord God, my penchant for finding my sense of security and the approval of people, and God, break the, the bindings that hold me to feeling like I've got to please others ahead of you. See, the reality is, is that these are things that the Lord delights to do, and I can testify, I can, I can testify, he does it. I'll leave you with this. This message today has a special place for me because as I prepared to preach it, I was reminded of God's purging power in my life. I know I've told you much of this story in the past, but hey, when it's God's story, I think you've got to give him glory and tell it. Simply put, there was a time in my life when I was playing games. And this reality that I'm talking about is something that I wanted, but there was so much clutter and so many competing passions, the biggest of which is self. I should say, too, that's still a battle in my life. The Lord is working on. But at a pivotal time in my life, he worked a profound change. Confronted with my sin... He came in by his grace and cut through layers of callousness and selfishness, showed me something of the shame of my selfish ambitions and brought to me what I desperately needed, conviction, confession, and conversion. I have not been the same. I still got problems. People who know me well, they're like, amen, he got problems. It's worse than you think. 
not what I could be. I'm not what I should be. But I'm telling you right now, I'm not what I was. And that is praise to the purging power of Jesus. He did it for me. He can do it for you. Are you hungry for reality? Then let's seek him together to bring us nearer to God.